Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm glad that we're going to have time together today. I hope you've had a great day. And it's, uh, God, it's getting to the end of summer. Those, these summer days of August, they're starting to, we're running out of them. So I hope you're having a, a great uh, time getting the most out of your summer days. And I'm glad that you spent time with me. Rob Louie is my first guest, and you know him. He's the executive editor at the Daily Signal. And I uh, always look forward to having Rob on. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. And yeah. certainly, uh, we always expect a break from the news in August, but not this year, apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently not. Uh, so, yeah, when did the kids start school for you? The kids started yesterday. Oh, wow. Uh, the the two back. boys are, are back already and uh, and have wrapped up their, their second day of school. And then uh, the little girl, Savannah, will go back after Labor Day, but she's just at a, at a church school. So, uh, you know, it's uh, always fun and exciting this time of year, but uh, brings a lot of anxiety <laughs> both yeah, to no the kidding. students and the parents. Remind me where uh, what grades your boys are in. Uh, they are in eighth grade okay, and wow. fifth and fifth grade. Wow. Uh, so middle school and, uh, and elementary school. So your eighth grader, if he was smart, he'd come home and say, they're not giving us any homework this year, dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, Bill, the thing is, uh, I remember when I was in school, how much homework I had to do each and every night. It seems like forever, <laughs> as long as I was in school. And, and I don't know whether it was a COVID thing last year, uh, but obviously in, in 2020, there wasn't a whole lot of homework because everything moved to virtual. So, mm-hmm. you know, you were in a weird type of situation. And I felt even last year when uh, the kids went back, they did not have nearly the amount of homework that they had in, in previous years. And so I, again, I don't know whether the teachers were, were kind of taking it easy and maybe it huh. was throughout the education experience, because it was for both kids. But I do, I will say this, I mean, uh, you know, it's so important as, as the kids go back to school that parents take an active role. And I, you've heard me say this on your show before. I'm a big believer that parents, whether they choose to send their kids to public school or private school or homeschool, uh, if you delegate that, that, that authority and you, you as, as a parent can do that, uh, just make sure that you're keeping tabs on, on, on what's going on in school. Parents got a firsthand view of that during the pandemic. Oh I'll give uh, one, one tip that I, I did, which I found very helpful. I, I sent an email to each of uh, my son's teachers, both, of, both the eighth grader and the fifth grader, and got nice responses from all of them. I think it's really important to establish that line of communication particularly at the start of the year. So if something you know problematic happens on l- later on, you at least know that you can go to that teacher. And, and I think the teachers appreciate knowing that as well. Oh, absolutely. And you've established a lovely rapport before that, like you said, there's any problems whatsoever. That's that's right. And, and the problems might, you know, they could be behavioral problems, sure. but I'm thinking more in the context of, you know, uh, uh, you know, in the English class, for instance, uh, what if they're assigned a book that, you know, goes against, you know, our Christian values or things, something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, and if you wanted to have that conversation, it's uh, it's it's well worth having uh, because I think too often uh, the parents don't don't engage and and too much of what happens in school goes uh, goes without notice. 
one other one other piece on this education a bit. Uh, my wife and I this summer participated in in our middle school's uh, book approval committee, and and I took an active role. Uh, my mother uh, was a longtime uh, public school librarian, so I naturally have an inclination wanting to see our our, our great works of literature uh, mm-hmm. still have a place in our schools. <laughs> I think you know as uh, as we've heard stories of, of some. Uh, books like To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, which, uh, you know, the left has gone after and, and wants removed from schools. Uh, it's a very important to me personally that that the schools not uh, remove these books. So I had a good and positive experience and, and met many of the English teachers and, and they have a desire, I think, to continue teaching that. So just one anecdotal example uh, that, that I experienced, but get involved in, in those committees and those PTAs. Uh, that's a good way to, uh, to give back not only to your community, but have an active role. Mm-hmm. I agree, Rob. Thank you for sharing that and encouraging parents to do that. And speaking of Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, was there a a specific understanding as to why they wanted that removed? Well, uh, so this was not um, our school that wanted it removed. There there is a a movement, uh, geez, now I'm forgetting the hashtag, uh, on on Twitter, um, uh, I'll, I'll have to find it maybe during the break, Bill, and we can come back where they identify books, classic works of literature, that they would like to see replaced with, with other books in schools. And of course, we know that the schools are already introducing um, uh, books uh, like, you know, I Am Jazz, uh, you know, which sure. talks about uh, issues that you might not want your your, your kids to, to learn in school and you prefer to talk to them at home about. And so uh, those, are the t- those are the types of conversations. And, and a lot of this sprung up in the aftermath of, of the death of George Floyd and when our country was going through, you know, a, a lot of uh, reexamination uh, of, of everything, you know, from education practices to, uh, to criminal justice. And so I'm, I'm all for having those conversations. But uh, when you start removing books from schools, I, I think it's, it's problematic, particularly when I think those books uh, teach valuable lessons, including Harper Lee's To Killing Mockingbird. Yeah. Yeah. And your eighth grader would be 14 going on 15. Does that sound right? Uh, no, uh, he's 13 going on 14. Okay. So uh, there are some there are some uh, kids in the class that are, are about to turn 15. Okay. But fortunately, no, he's, he's yeah. got another year. Yeah. yeah. But you're going to start to experience all kinds of new temptations at that age. And again, you and your wife have all kinds of work to make sure you are uh, having these conversations with him. That's that's right, and it's your fifth uh, grader so not important. so much yet, right? Not not yet, although you never know. I mean, uh, the older brother, uh, you know, oftentimes brings home things in dinner time conversation that uh, that the fifth grader is exposed to. But I think that you know it's uh, it's so important. Uh, we're we're blessed, Bill, as you as you know, my wife were, is able to work part time, um, and so she gets to to be at home when the kids get home from school and to greet them and. And uh, another, you know, important tradition is, you know, sitting down together at the dinner table and having those conversations right. about what happened in, in school uh, that day. So to the extent that the moms and dads listening can can do that and, and share those experiences, I think it's uh, it's so important. I certainly, you know, thank my my mom and dad and my parents for for that experience when I was growing up. And uh, and I think it just makes such a huge difference to to be involved in your kids' lives. And, and, you know, I was talking to a a gentleman uh, today who who visited us at the Heritage Foundation and Daily Signal, and he's a a contributor to many media outlets. And he said, you know, so often in the context of the conversations we're having right now in our country about 
uh, the, the, what does a post-Roe America look like after the Dobbs decision? He said, you know, the, the, the one thing that you don't hear enough about are the importance of, of moms and dads uh, making decisions, particularly dads. You yeah, know, <laughs> they, right. they often get left out of the conversation. And so, you know, let's, uh, for the fathers out there, uh, let's find opportunities for us right. to step up. Right. Rob Bluey is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com and check it out, dailysignal.com. Rob, let's talk, uh, if you would, a little bit about the fentanyl crisis, when you think of kids going back to school and there's all this, uh, these things that are brought and introduced to kids and as they're getting into high school, it's so scary. Um, well, right. And the, the, the border crisis that our country has experienced now, uh, virtually since the day that, that President Biden took office, I mean, remember, he undid a lot of the successful policies that the Trump administration had put in place. I often say you might not like Donald Trump, but you, ha- you, you can't argue that some of the policies that he had implemented with the, with the direction of the law enforcement agencies were, were, did appear to be working. And so what's happening? Well, a lot of these drugs are making their way up from Mexico and they're finding not the, you know, they're finding uh, a home in communities beyond Texas and in and, and Arizona and New Mexico and the border states. They are, are making their ways to communities all across this country. And a tiny dose of fentanyl can have a devastating yes. impact uh, mm-hmm. on, on individuals. And so that fentanyl will be laced with other drugs. And you may not even realize that, uh, that if you are, are, are taking other drugs, that you're exposing yourself to, to this huge risk. And, and the tragedy is that so many uh, people have, have seen the consequences in, 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 in fatal ways. I mean, they've lost yes. uh, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. And, and one of them is my colleague, Andy Olivastro, who lost a sister and, and wrote about this in the context of, of what, uh, what was this, this day that uh, we all recognized on Sunday, uh, Fentanyl Awareness Day. So, you know, it's, uh, it's really tragic, Bill, but I think people need to have those tough conversations. And, uh, and if you know somebody who's addicted to drugs, you know, particularly uh, pay attention uh, to, to the consequences of fentanyl and, and what some bad actors may be trying to do. Mm-hmm. Rob, let's uh, talk about some of the IRS hires and where is that headed and will they be able to fill 87,000 jobs? Well, <laughs> there are there. You know, I thought it was was clever. Senator Rick Scott of Florida, a Republican, uh, sent a letter to prospective employees of the IRS and said, "Don't get uh, don't get too excited about all these job openings because as soon as the Republicans uh, get control of Congress, we're going to try to eliminate as many of those jobs as possible." So, you know, it is all it is certainly an ambitious effort on the part of the IRS to to hire these eighty seven thousand employees. Uh, but it's been a long standing uh, project on the part of some of the Democrats in Congress who supported this bill. Remember, it was a party line vote, both in the House and the Senate, and and President Biden signed the bill. It was one of his priorities to get this done. And uh, and certainly they frame it in a way with having noble ambitions. They don't want those wealthy taxpayers to be cheating, and they want to make sure that they pay their fair share. And you hear it all the time. Uh, But I think that, uh, as we've seen in the past, the IRS certainly does not stop there. And uh, there's good reason for other people to be worried, particularly uh, if you look at what Lois Lerner did under the Obama administration and the fact that she targeted certain nonprofit organizations and withheld their uh, nonprofit status, these charities that uh, that couldn't get uh, didn't get their credentials in place. Uh, you know, that that affects a lot of people. It could affect churches, frankly. And mm-hmm. uh, and so I think that there's good reason to be suspicious about what the IRS is doing. But, Bill, it's going to take a long time to, to add that many jobs, particularly at a, at a time when so many employers are, are looking for for qualified employees to begin with. Yeah, 
That's so true. All right. If you have a question for Rob Bluey, let me know what it is. You send it over via text to 877-933-2484. He's my Washington, D.C. correspondent, and he is uh, at the dailysignal.com, which is an arm of the Heritage Foundation, which is a conservative think tank, which started in 1983 under Ronald Reagan. So that is his perspective. If you've got a question of any kind, let me know, 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. That music is Rob Bluey's walk-up music. Always glad to have Rob on. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. I always encourage you to go to dailysignal.com. If you have a question for Rob, let me know what it is. Text it over, please, to 877-933-2484. Rob, this just came in. What is Washington saying about signing the nuclear arms deal with Iran? Well, uh, this continues to be a, a wa- by Washington, I'm assuming uh, the, the the listener means Joe Biden. Is that correct, Bill? Can I, I, I would assume, assume, assume yeah, that, that administration. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with well, just some history and context here. So um, you might recall that it was Biden who played a critical role during the Obama years when he was vice president uh, on the Iran nuclear deal. Deal, and then of course when Trump came into office as president, uh, one of uh, his big actions was uh, to uh, to end that deal. And so it is, it is um, you know among the the administration's priorities to work with Iran. And, and Iran in just the last day or so has, has dropped another provision that they, I guess, were, were demanding. But I, I think that there is, there continues to be deep concerns about this for a number of reasons. I mean, uh, we, we just saw the, the attack on Salman Rushdie, the famous author, and, uh, and, and unanswered questions about what motivated that. We know Iran for many years has, has tried to, to target him and, and does not particularly like him. Uh, you know, the Israelis have, already spoken out um, over the, the last 24 hours and, and urged the United States not to rejoin the Iran nuclear deal, in part because Israel feels the threat directly from Iran uh, in, in the Middle East. And, uh, and yes, um, you know, although they may appear to be getting closer uh, to, to a deal, I still think uh, it re- reflects some... Uh, uh, negligence on the part of of the the Biden administration, uh, some some uh, naivete uh, to to move forward with with a, a regime that I think we know has ambitions that that are not uh, in good faith. And so uh, I I certainly applauded President Trump for for removing the United States from the deal when he did, and uh, I would caution the Biden administration from from reentering it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do an update on the immigration and some of the. Um, sanctuary cities, and they're they're not they're not as happy as they once were. No, they're not. And Bill, by the way, I, I if I could before we uh, before I answer on um, on the immigration question, sure. I do want to come back because I I told your listeners I would I would get the name of that uh, t- effort to 
removed to kill a mockingbird. Oh, okay. uh, it's called Disrupt Text. Disrupt Text. And what it is, it's a, a group of teachers that uh, challenge, quote, the traditional canon in order to create a more inclusive, representative, and equitable language arts curriculum. And their critique of To Kill a Mockingbird had everything to do with the way that uh, Tom and uh, Calpurnia were, were represented in the book and did not really have a voice for themselves. And they didn't think that Atticus Fitch uh, was um, was as uh, strident in his defense of, of Tom as he could have been. So mm. anyways, just, just to give them more context as to what I was talking about in case they want to go learn more. Now, as far as, uh, as, as, far as immigration, which I believe you were, you were asking me about. That was my next question, yes. Yes. Uh, so here's the situation. I mean, immigration remains uh, one of the uh, foremost uh, issues, even though it might not get the, the attention that it deserves in the news media. And I say that because... Uh, you just had uh, the month of July when we had set a new record of nearly 200,000 apprehensions. Now, <laughs> there, are, there have been millions of uh, illegal immigrants who have crossed the border under Biden's watch. And I think there's growing frustration, not only what we talked about in the context of fentanyl and the drugs that are coming across the border from Mexico, but the fact that uh, you have all sorts of other crime and, uh, and, and challenging situations and that there appears no desire on the part of the Biden administration to actually remove the illegal immigrants, uh, they come in and they they get a court date for for, for the future, but uh, there doesn't seem to be a, an effort on on their part to actually follow through on so many of these these different challenges. And so, I I don't see where it ends. I know that there are Republicans who are itching to impeach uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, should they get control of the House of Representatives. Uh, but obviously, you have the a Democrat in the White House, so I don't necessarily know that that's going to go. Uh, all that far, or, or his replacement would be any better uh, than, than Mayorkas. Uh, but what we do know is we have good men and women on the Border Patrol who are doing their job each and every day, but increasingly are not able to do the types of functions that they probably expected to sign up for uh, a, a role in law enforcement. And they're in, in, instead processing uh, illegal immigrants through the system uh, at, at no end. And it's only uh, going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Should we not expect the people that come across to do the right thing and show up for their court date and... Isn't the burden on them and not the Biden administration? I think some of them certainly do. I think that the concern is that if if you've set an example where you're not going to enforce the law, mm-hmm. uh, that many people will. I mean, you and I have talked about this in the past. I mean, on the one hand, we understand and sympathize as Christians with them wanting to come to the United States. I mean, right. we live in a, in a in, we're, we're blessed to live in such a a wonderful country with with the freedom and opportunity that we have to succeed. And so uh, on the one hand, yes, uh, we, we, we understand the desire to do so, but there is a legal process uh, to enter our country and the reason why we have a citizenship process. And I think the concern is that uh, that individuals will will not follow through on those court dates because they know what the consequence is going to be. It's it's likely going to be that they will be deported and sent back to their their home country. And so mm-hmm. they look for other ways to, to, to come to the country. Um, we used to uh, have a, a situation in, in our country where it would be young males who would most likely be the ones crossing the border. Well, now, as you know, there are families uh, or, or, or children who, who come across themselves after enduring horrible things mm-hmm. on, on the journey north. Um, it's one of the reasons why, why Kevin Roberts, our president here at the Heritage Foundation and a delegation from Heritage traveled to Guatemala last week to meet with uh, the president there. Uh, Kevin spoke at the 
uh, Guatemala National Prayer Breakfast, um, uh, uh, which was just a, a tremendous uh, occasion. And, uh, and the big issue that we heard from the Guatemalan president was that they are not getting the support from the United States to do what they need to do uh, yeah. in their country. And of course, Guatemala is the northernmost country in the, 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 the Northern Triangle there. So it is, uh, it is a big challenge. It's not just Mexico. It's, uh, it's throughout Latin America. And there's certainly more that, that we need to do. Uh, to confront this. And I think that it's an issue that you're probably going to see elevated in the, uh, the fall campaigns of Republicans running for office because they recognize that it's, it's resonating with voters, uh, e- including some, probably some Democrats who are, are growing frustrated with this administration. Mm-hmm. Rob Bluey is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. So here's a question, Rob. How do you feel about Pakistan and what can we Americans do, if anything, to support Americans still there and the church there? Yeah, well, I mean, it is uh, it, it, that that part of the world is challenging, as we know. I mean, certainly, uh, it, it's a year ago that the United States left its neighbor uh, in Afghanistan and uh, and and Pakistan, uh, with the, the influence of the Taliban, uh, you know, continues to be a, a problematic state uh, in in many regards. And so, you know, if there are Americans there, or there are there are Christians there who are trying to worship, they face an uphill battle. There's there's no doubt about that. But I mean, it's not exclusively those countries alone. I mean think about China and the religious minorities that suffer uh, the fate of the Chinese Communist Party there as well. So, I mean, I I think having a a faith in God and uh, continuing to pray and look for opportunities uh, to work within the system, uh, you know, it's it's important uh, to do so. Uh, but recognizing that uh, unless there's a change in in power, uh, you know, that's more sympathetic to freedom of religion, uh, it's it's probably not going to to be much different uh, tomorrow as it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to start off a, a complete firestorm at this time of the interview, Rob. But another question that came in is: Can Rob talk about student loan forgiveness and how it will affect taxpayers? And where does the money come from to pay for it? Well, thank you. This is an, an important conversation because tomorrow we expect the Biden administration to make a decision on whether it's going to cancel uh, these student loans. Um, and so they, the decision is needs to be made within my understanding the next couple of days. Um, and what the White House is leaning toward doing, according to reports that we've seen in the last few hours, is that they plan to cancel up to $10,000 in student loan debt. Now, this is not uh, this is obviously not fair uh, to to a large number of, of people who uh, worked very hard to pay off their loans and uh, and others who, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> probably made life choices because they had significant loans and, and decided right. that they would do the responsible thing. And so I think that it's going to set off a, a lot of uh, frustration. Uh, how does it affect the bottom line and, uh, and, and the government? Well, we're already running significant deficits, uh, budget deficits. So the, the debt, as you know, is, is trillions of dollars. And so this is only going to add to it. I mean, it it's, it's continues along the pattern of what we've seen with too many people, both Republicans and Democrats in Washington, not reigning in spending. And uh, this is going to uh, have a huge impact. And it, it'll affect a lot of people. My understanding is that it'll, it'll apply to those making under $125,000. So there's a significant amount of people out there. And one last point, Bill, uh, the other reason why it's not fair is that there are individuals in this country um, who who chose not to go to college and rack up these student loan debts. The people who actually went to college 
and and have student loan debts are disproportionately uh you know the, the affluent enough mm-hmm. that they were able to make that choice and so it, it this is think about the the, the low income voters in the, this country and the, the the Americans who were never in a position to go to college uh, and how they might feel about uh, this right. decision on part of Biden. right and what about the people that got a truck and went to trade school and paid for that and where's where's their relief right that's absolutely right. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it's a good point, Bill, and yeah. it's, it's worth considering as you listen to the announcement over the next day. I will. Thank you, Rob, for being on the show. Always look forward to having you on. Thank you, Bill. Have you a good bet. night. You bet. Rob Bluey has been my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. We'll take a break. When we come back, Dr. Greg Johnson is in studio. He's an organizational psychologist. I think we're going to learn how to play in the sandbox well together. I'm looking forward to that. change a lot in the last three years. What about the last generation? A lot has changed in the last 50 years. And I, I want to dive into that a little bit today with Dr. Greg Johnson. He's an organizational psychologist with several decades of experiential leadership in a variety of ways. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. So I find it fascinating that uh, the way we work today is so different from how we worked 50 years ago. I mean, how far do you want to go back? Well, there's so many so many elements at play, and and workplace isn't the workplace was isn't what it once was. It's so much more today in 2022 and 2023 and beyond. And so, I grew up in rural America, where, uh, frankly, I cleaned hog barns nice. as a teenager. Nice. What and, was that pay like? Uh, fantastic. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I asked the farmer that I worked for. I said, "How will I know when it's clean enough?" Ooh, that's a and, great question. And he sarcastically, but with a hint of seriousness, said, it's clean enough when you'll be willing to lick it. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of random, and that sounds that sounds cold, but the, the purpose is the thought of work ethic. Yeah. Right? And uh, our parents, our grandparents grew up with this hard work ethic. I go to work, I do my thing, I don't look at the clock, I work until the job gets done. And uh, today, it's not as much about work ethic, as much as some of our uh generational legacy people want it to be or those that grew up with their own industry or owning their own business today work has become uh, more about empowerment or fair pay or fair uh, treatment Mm -hmm. issues alignment things like that and so work the workplace has really changed in the sense that now people are looking not only for a paycheck uh, not only for a place to come in punch their time card on the on the way in and on the way out but they're looking for a place to belong they're looking for purpose, a, a place that they align with the issues, they align with the people. Maybe it's even faith, perhaps, that, mm-hmm. hey, this is a Christian company. I want to work here where I know that people believe the same thing I do or something along those lines. Even in a church setting, we're seeing uh, workplace dynamics play out differently uh, than they used to. We are much more individualistic today with looking for our career to give us some significance. 
I don't know if that would apply the same way to our parents' generation. Identity is a critical component of our life. And you and I know that our identity is found first and foremost in Christ. Amen. But the workplace has become so much a part of our identity, especially for the younger generations today, just because of the things that I listed off mm-hmm. uh, in terms of why they come to the workplace. And so it, it's it's a challenge in some ways for uh, longer-term generational talent to connect and identify with that younger talent. At the same time, I think it's it's hard for uh, younger generations to to truly align their identity and say, my identity in, is in Christ first, and then my other priorities fall after that because they put so much stock in, how much am I going to make in my career? Mm. How much is it going to connect with who I am as a person? Uh, it, it's very much changed. Yeah. My accountant says I he loves to hire rural people because of the work ethic. I, I would agree with that. Uh, cosign. Uh, yeah. Just because I'm a product of rural America. Yeah. And and yet, as someone who lives in a metro area now, it's still there. It's still prevalent. Uh, the messaging is a little different depending on the place and the employer and the politics and things yeah. like that. Uh, but work ethic hasn't gone away. Good, solid work ethic hasn't right. gone away. It's just become a, an, a, there are additional dynamics at play. I recently spoke with a, a head of a CEO roundtable uh, nearby, and he said, more and more of my CEOs are choosing to retire than to deal with uh, the employment base because they're having a hard time connecting with their employees who are younger and younger in generation and therefore are adapting more and more to today's mindset of the workplace. And so it's definitely a generational dynamic mm-hmm. at play, and it manifests itself in different ways. Yeah. It seems like the my parents' generation, our parents' generation, there was this idea that we've got to put food on the table. And it wasn't so much that I'm trying to be fulfilled in my career, although many were, right? Yes. But the the, the main goal was to support and feed their family. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And today it's it's so much more and it's so much less at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's It's a different dynamic all in all because especially with COVID and remote work and the whole different atmosphere that that has brought uh, together and to us, um, it, it's changed things in the sense that uh, I have a family member who used to be an airline pilot, and you would think that's a pretty fulfilling job, uh, one that um, yeah just brings fulfillment and satisfaction. It paid nicely yeah. as well, uh, but he went in, he he punched his time. He said, "Okay, my flight's done for the day. I go home." Uh, and and at that time too, the relationships are at play where the flight attendant would bring him coffee or bring him, you know, there's so many uh, gender dynamics at play and things like that, where today uh, it's not just that paycheck, although that paycheck is always there because we talk about the economy and what have you, uh, but it's how does this play into my family life? Uh, All the more with remote work now, you're seeing employers that say, come back, come back uh, to the workplace, to the physical workplace. Mm -hmm. And the employees are saying, not so fast. I, I have some power here now. Uh, so it's it's not exactly where the employer holds all the cards. Mm-hmm. Dr. Greg Johnson is my guest. And Greg, you know, when I'm thinking about, um, you, know, you talked about gender differences, what the, the flight attendant might bring the you know, the pilot's coffee, right? Yes. I mean, at what point does that feel like um, a gender issue? And at what point is it like a servant's heart? I mean, when I first started here, I was uh, had um, someone working here that would bring me coffee because she wanted to. She said, how about I bring you a cup of coffee? I go, that would be great. 
today she's the station manager. Yeah. Talk about a servant's heart. Exactly. You know? And that's where some of your best employees can be the ones that start uh, as an intern. Yeah. Or as your receptionist or something like that. And I, w- I would encourage employers today to put stock in those individuals. Yeah. Not just see them as uh, low-level uh, hourly employees, but people that have potential, if you will. And I think part of it plays into uh, the generational thing for sure plays in. You know, things are different today than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, but I think we also have to recognize, you know, bringing like spiritual gifts to the, com- the component as well. Amen. You know, gifts, right? Physical gifts. Yes. You know, I, I personally, in a moment of vulnerability, struggle sometimes when people give me gifts because I'm thinking, is this just naturally who you are or are you trying to win me over in some form of capacity? And the alignment of gifts with trust, for example. Uh, whereas, can we recognize that some people just have that spiritual gift of giving gifts? Yeah. That's so, so true. There, there are unique dynamics at play, and they are individualistic. Uh, you know, God created us all individually, especially with unique DNA uh, that is unlike no one else. As much as I want to be the DNA of Bill Arnold, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not nearly as funny as you are, for one. Uh, I do have a few more hairs on my head, but that's mm-hmm. okay. Just a few. Just a few. Yeah. But how that plays out is everyone has to be treated as an individual. There are areas to treat individuals uh, with respect, and there are individuals with how we can relate to a team as well. Mm-hmm. And we're not going back to, uh, we're, we're going to do a hybrid. We're going to keep working remote, aren't we? I, I would venture to say yes. I yeah. don't want to say a universal sure. yes, because there are certain positions that require on-site work. Uh, but I think if it's possible for today's day and age, Yes, mm-hmm. I do see value in the relationships of in-person meeting. Yeah. And that's something that I don't know that we'll ever get back. And I think our world will change as a result of it. Mm-hmm. When you talked about the CEOs uh, struggling with some of the other younger employees, what do they find to be the problem? Accountability has become something more difficult to manage. Okay. Uh, also with the, uh, I was just talking with a client this morning where, uh, you have to look at what does the labor force look like because you can't just necessarily uh, um, cut someone or lay someone off if there's not someone there to back them up, if the labor pool isn't there in the future because uh, employers are now looking at, okay, well, is 80% better than 0% or is 50% performance better than 0%? And so it's not a straight hard math of, well, one is better than the other so I can just uh, do that, but accountability has been an issue. Uh, if if someone's not hitting their metrics, and the employer is equipping them as much as they can to perform, at what point does that breaking point come? But at the same time, does the labor force say, "Hey, we're here with the next person up"? Not necessarily in today's market. You know, statistics show that uh, employment unemployment is at a record low, mm-hmm. and so factoring that into consideration is definitely one. Uh, the CEO is being able to align with their people that want more and more change and things like that, um, that are more to personalities than they are to work ethic and performance, uh, workplace dynamics. Those are things that they're struggling with as well. Mm-hmm. When you look at this new wave of people coming into the workforce, they are uh, certainly have more distractions than than 30 years ago, right? Definitely. I mean... Do Turn they, on the TV. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. But when you think of technology, I, I've always said, you know, we create technology, then it turns around and recreates us. 
Yes. You know, at some point, technology is amazing, right? I'm a big fan of it. And at other, at, on other times, I think, has it become a distraction to the work ethic? Yes. Oh, there you go. It, 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 it truly has. How can it not? Yes. I mean, I look at my watch right now, and it'll tell me how I'm doing with standing up and how many minutes of exercise I've done. <laughs> right. It now controls me. That's what I mean. Exactly. But you used to live a life where you didn't look to your watch to see what was going on. Exactly. How many steps you've taken, when you need to just stand up. Yep. It's, hmm. it's a dynamic that has to be fluid, Bill. Yeah. And it ha- there has to be give and take. It's no longer this hierarchical, do what I say, uh, you know, it, similar to the chain of command, for example, the chain of command and the chain of communication cannot be the same. And what I mean by that is, uh, yes, there has to be a chain of command in terms of uh, allocation of resources and who do I take direction from or who gives direction and who provides vision in a, in a corporate setting. And I don't mean corporate as in for-profit. I mean in a group setting. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the chain of communication is who is the upper levels uh, of the organization receiving their information from. They can't go straight down those same channels to get that information. So if you have a president, that president can't just go down to the vice president who will go down to their director, who will go down to the next position, and then go right back up that channel. Today, the chain of communication is a web. It's a spider web of information, and there has to be free-flowing fluid uh, back and forth and feedback going back and forth, uh, and, and it will help the workplace as a result. Mm-hmm. And that's, So that's a good thing, what you're saying. I, I would think so. It's a change. It is a difficult change for some who are used to that kind of older school mentality mm-hmm. uh, where I give orders, you take orders. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone, uh, someone like coaching a football game or a basketball team in the sense that before, probably when a lot of us grew up, coach said, go run the lines. Yeah. And even though I didn't like it, I said, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> right. Today, a lot of, of students will, say, will hear, go run the lines, and they'll say, why? It's the same thing in the workplace. Wow, that's interesting. Really interesting. Dr. Greg Johnson is my guest. We're talking about um, organizational, he's an organizational psychologist. So um, we're going to take a break, but we come back. If you have a question for him, you can let me know what it is. Uh, if you find yourself in this work environment um, and you've got a question, you can text it over to 877 933 2484. Again, 877 933 2484. I'll be right back. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. show if you just joined us i hope you've had a great day dr greg johnson is in studio with me he's an organizational psychologist with a couple decades of experiential leadership in a variety of industries including nonprofits and higher education and sports and entertainment and ministry he's a results driven team leader and by the look of him you would be convinced that he is because he's a um, was also trained in leadership development by senior members of the u.s military 
It was a fantastic experience. And I want to be very clear. I am not a U.S. veteran okay. or active, active duty that. person because yeah. they deserve 10 times more respect than I do. But I have had the opportunity to spend a concentrated classroom and, and experiential time cool. with the Navy SEALs uh, at the Naval Academy, the Air Force Academy, and their leaders. Incredible experience. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, let's um, talk about um, the us versus them mentality that people find in organizations. And how do you get those to work together? So workplace cultures throughout the U.S., I'm not sure about outside of our country, but I know in our country, workplace cultures are filled with groups of people who, based on their training uh, and or their role in the company, they form a bond with one another, a brotherhood or a sisterhood, if you will. And they have had hundreds, if not thousands of hours of training, of licensure uh, that are required to do the job. And that job, uh, based on either the volume of their group population or the skills necessary to deliver a vital service or a person, uh, excuse me, a product to the consumer, needs to have the attention of their management. So let me give some examples. Uh, we, we talked about the airline industry. So uh, pilots require significant amounts of training uh, to fly a plane. Uh, plumbers. Who knew that it took so much time in a good way to know how to fit a pipe with yeah. another one, mm-hmm. right? Um, faculty members, uh, college faculty members have terminal degrees. Uh, and so they, they have this, uh, again, this sisterhood or bron- brotherhood, this bond that says we are one, brothers in arms, if you will. And yet at the same time, Bill, there is a second group of people that, have a, another contributing component in the same way. So we talked about pilots. Well, what about the flight attendants? Flight attendants have a, a significant value with consumer experience. The pilot is charged with directing a plane from its origin, uh, its origin to its destination mm-hmm. in a safe manner. Mm-hmm. They know how to read all those measurements and what have you, far more than I'm trained in to do. Mm-hmm. But the flight attendant is all about the customer behind the cockpit. You know, how is their experience? Are they enjoying themselves? Would you like some headphones? How about some coffee? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so it creates an us versus them dynamic. And so some of that, it, it, the tension is caused by uh, group A. So we'll say the pilots in this example uh, are saying, you need to respect me because I have this experience. I have this licensure. I have this credential, if you will. And yet the second group, group B, wants the love of that group. So for instance, if you've read the marriage book, Love and Respect, Christian marriage book, it talks about how the husband in the relationship needs and values respect of his wife and the wife desires the love of her husband. The same is true in an organizational uh, dimension to a degree in that the licensure group or the, the faculty, for example, or the plumbers even they desire the respect of their peers. They say, I've put in this time. I've done my work. I'm a professional at what I do. From a plumber standpoint, from a hands-on blue-collar perspective, they say, I know how to do my job, and I'm going to take however long it takes to do it right the first time. On the flip side, the dispatcher is worried about that 9 to noon window that they gave the customer that Mm -hmm. says, we'll be there to fix your pipes between 9 and noon. Mm -hmm. And there's a tension there, right? And so there's there's probably three different um, ways that the person that's leading with that organization or one of those subgroups 
can navigate a path forward. It is it is possible to have not us versus them, but us and them together. I like that. Okay. The first the first tip uh, is for the leader to check their own ego. Humility wins the day. Uh, it, it's so so important um, to to swallow your pride, and you know we know that from a faith perspective. Totally. Pride is not from the Lord. No. Nope. Uh, sin is not from the Lord. And so the most difficult to deal with is your own, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the first thing is to, to check your own ego. The second step is that love and respect book. Recognize which group needs love and which group needs respect, you know, and, and try and see the window from the other perspective. So the group that group A, you know, the pilots, what if they served coffee for a flight and what you, you know, the problem is you can't put group b in group a's shoes right you can't say flight attendant please fly my plane now right as the customer i'd, I'd be a little scary it's like those tv commercials that say well i know a little something about surgery but i don't know a lot right you suddenly you know but trying to swallow your pride and and seeing it from the other perspective that love and love and um respect dynamic if you will when we're aware of each other's needs and attempt to see the world through the alternative lens, we become more equipped and therefore unified in our endeavor to collectively deliver a product or a service. I was actually sitting in church this past weekend, and I thought the same thing because you have uh, the church I attend has a group of pastors, ordained ministers who are on stage delivering uh, a message from the Lord. And then you have the staff and there's an interesting dichotomy. I don't necessarily it as much as of a strong us versus them in that dynamic, Mm -hmm. but there's still two critical elements at play where your pastors and your staff might be serving two different roles. Your staff might be more about the logistics or the sound or that uh, first impressions where your pastors are more about uh, pastoral care, marriage, uh, delivering a sermon from the lectern or the pulpit on a Saturday or Sunday. So there's a dynamic there. And then finally, I would encourage uh, leaders in this area to affirm and reward the greater team dynamic, okay? So instead of rewarding individuals, let's say you're a company that gives out year-end bonuses based on evaluations. How about taking a portion of that bonus and saying, instead of giving 100% of that bonus based on individual performance, we're going to award the team dynamic. Did the team win? Patrick Lencioni, one of the, the famed authors, he wrote a book called The Advantage, and that's that's where this principle comes from. A soccer team is one team with one score. So the strikers on the soccer team, or let's say the midfielders, can't say, well, we did our job, but we lost the game. They can't look at the strikers and say, well, you didn't score, but we did our job so we can step off the field with pride, healthy pride and confidence. No, the team lost. Mm-hmm. And so you win or lose as a team. So as a result, if you're the company or the church or the nonprofit, affirm and reward the people that make up the team. Imagine if we uh, rewarded the flight crew for the things that they can control on a specific flight, flight based on customer feedback. Say now, more. they can't, they can't, um, your flight crew isn't in charge of did the flight take off on time necessarily because there's mechanical issues right. at play. There's air traffic control things at play. But within the realm of the team's control, so the two f- uh, the two pilots and let's say the three flight attendants, mm-hmm. did they do their job in the eyes of a customer within the realm of the control? Mm-hmm. And if they did, affirm that as a team saying yes. So in- you're encouraging the pilots and the flight attendants to work together as a unit rather than, well, the pilots did their job, but the flight attendants didn't necessarily do theirs. 
Does that make sense? In creating the us versus them versus us and them together. Yeah. Yeah, Rosie, I would say we've got a very good guest in studio today. I kind of like him. And and we worked on getting him together, didn't we? <laughs> well, so look at the teamwork here. I know. Look at the teamwork. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's it's a great point, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Us it's and very, them. It's, it's Us very, and them. It's very awkward right now. Oh, I, gonna... I love the awkwardness. I know you do. Yeah. I, <laughs> I know you I love do. It. Yeah. Um, Dr. Greg Johnson is my guest. And so, Greg, maybe you would talk a little bit about uh, your consulting that you do. Uh, I'd love to hear more about that. So I work for a company. I lead a company called Apostle Consulting. Okay. I'm no Apostle Paul, but uh, I, I do believe that um, that's that's part of where it came from. Uh, frankly, uh, we are driven to make organizations better from the inside out by informing and equipping leaders, facilitating a culture of trust, uh, and fostering continuous improvement mindset, if you will. And so uh, recently, I actually heard a description of the Apostle Paul that said, he was sent by God for new relationships and new ministry. Oh, I love it. it. It resonated so much with me because I said, yes, that's that's who we are as an organization. But, uh, you know, at the core, we facilitate the pursuit of clarity and alignment at the individual group and organizational levels. And as easy as that may sound, it is not easy because we come from unique backgrounds, unique dynamics. I often ask my clients, I start with my clients and say, tell me your family of origin. And they have unique stories that define who they are, that are mm-hmm. unlike anyone else. And so we're looking for clarity on who is the person, who is the group, what is their role, what is the responsibility, even with the organization of what is the purpose of the organization? Why do they exist? And then where are they going? Oh, great questions. Uh, one just came in, a message. In the military, though, you need a division between the enlisted and the officers. They deal in orders and life and death issues. They do. Yes. And that's one of the great things about the military is that they're direct. But if you read enough into the military, there is a certain, at the highest levels, there is a certain amount of respect between the officers and the non-commissioned, uh, if you will. And, and you know, if you read up on someone like a Jocko Willink or something like that, they're very much uh, trusting their brothers in arms. Mm-hmm. There is a clear clear dichotomy there yeah. uh, between the two. And yet there's a mutual respect at the same time. Oh, so good. Greg, thanks for taking time today. This has been really interesting. You're welcome. I've My pleasure. A lot. I'm going to have to go back and listen a second time because you gave some really good bullet points that I'm going to have to review one more time, which is often the case. So thanks for being here. Glad to do it. Yep. Dr. Greg Johnson has been my guest. Tell me the uh, website. ApostleConsult.com. ApostleConsult.com. We'll take a break. When we come back, Dr. Andy Scudding is joining me. We're going to talk about attachment issues today. I'm looking forward to that. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.